from the very beginning, we have wandered. We have searched the world for meaning and a higher purpose. He is the answer. He is the way. He is the truth. And He is the life. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name. Well, good morning, good morning. Let's give it up for our band this morning. Incredible time of worship. And also, uh, Jeff and Amy, who gave their testimony, that's a hard thing to do. And thank you so much, guys, for giving your testimony this morning. And, and we are continuing a series called Jesus. If you don't know who I am, you're like, who's this random guy that shows up on the stage? Where's Pastor Jeff? My name is Chase. Hi. And I'm the family pastor here at Rolling Hills. And what a privilege it is for me to continue to teach this series uh, called Jesus. Last week, Pastor Jeff opened the series with this idea of Jesus calling himself the way. This week, we're going to uh, tap into Jesus calling himself the truth. Like, what, what, how big of a deal was that back in, in the, the Old Testament and also coming to the New Testament? How big of a deal was that, that, that Jesus called himself the truth? But as I was studying through this, this message, this idea of this truth claim um, came, this idea of, have you ever heard of this statement, you do you? Anybody? It's kind of a recent thing that's kind of came up in our culture, you do you, and, and like it celebrates this idea of individuality. We can get behind it. Like God created you the way that you are, and, and what we say is you do you, right? And it has to do with a lot of different things. And some of the things that we say you do you about, some of it we agree with, some of it we don't agree, but you do you. For example, this idea of having a personality introvert versus extrovert, all right? If you're an introvert in the room, raise your hand. Ah, I see you're stressed out right now. <laughs> You're like, you're asking me to raise my hand and I'm an introvert. Whenever Laura came up here and you know, for those who have been around for some time, you know that during the welcome at some point in time, we're going to ask you to turn around and shake somebody's hand. And that just eats you alive. You're like, do I have to talk to a stranger this morning? Are you, it's really not preparing me for God's word. You should not do that. But I'm sorry. But for the extroverts in your room, raise your hand. Yeah. You're like, here I am. It's me. The party has now started because I'm in the room. Like, that's the extroverts. Here's what I would say to an introvert or an extrovert. You do you. It's fine. You do you. And we're going to celebrate that. There's also, um, what about, let's see, careers. You know, the, if you choose to be in the military or a teacher or engineer or in finance or a businessman or even a pastor, like, you do you. Like we want to celebrate that. We want you to use your gifts, talents, and abilities to advance God's kingdom. You do you. But what about dress? You know, a couple weeks ago, um, I was getting ready for church. I was about ready to leave the house. And we have an almost three-year-old. Her name is Kit. And Courtney and I were there. And, we, and all of a sudden, she said, I'm going to go get ready. She's never said that before. And so she just ran to her room to get ready. We were like, yay, victory. She's getting herself ready, right, for the parents in the room. She's getting herself ready. And so she has these pretty dresses in her room. We thought, man, she's going to have this cute outfit on. Well, later on in the day, I got a text message that looked like this. 
This is a My Little Pony shirt with tights and a tutu. And you know what? At that moment, um, we're just going to say, you do you, girl. But you rock it. You can praise Jesus in a tutu. We don't care. There's other things that you can you do you about. Um, maybe some things that we agree or disagree on. For example, maybe you walk your dog. Well, not technically walk your dog. You put your dog in a stroller and you push your dog around the neighborhood and you're wondering why your dog is out of breath every 10 steps. Maybe there's a correlation. I don't know. Or, or what about this idea of, uh, hey, look, if you do this, I'm not, I'm not judging. But maybe you wear your pajamas in the middle of the day to the grocery store. You do you, okay? That's all I got to say. Or maybe you're the person that has bumper stickers all over your car because you want to tell the world your life story. You want to tell the world how many kids you have, how many, how many babies you have on board, how, how many dogs you have, how many cats you have. Or maybe you want to tell everybody else how many miles that you've run that week. <laughs> That's actually me. That's actually me. Yesterday, I actually ran 0.5 miles. Um, proud of me. It was, uh, we have a fifth grader in our church. Her name is Ava, Ava Harden, and uh, she was raising money for Haiti, and I decided to go out and run, and I made it one lap, and I was like, I'm going to tap out. <laughs> I'm done. 0.5 miles. So this idea of you do you is, is something that we kind of have celebrated. We want you to celebrate your individuality, but for somehow, somehow this is also in, in relationship to relativism. And here's what I mean by that is that it, it's surrounded by these truth claims, these faith statements. And, and for some reason, as a culture, we have latched onto this idea, you know what? You do you. Whatever you believe, whatever you believe to be true, you do you. Barna Research said this in a recent study. Only 35% of Americans agree that moral truth is absolute. 44% say it is relative. 21% admit to having never even thought about it. 91% say the best way to find yourself is to look from within yourself. 79% say that people can believe whatever they want as long as those beliefs don't affect society. And get this, almost 60% say that whatever's right for your life or whatever works best for you is the only truth that you need to know. Our culture may tell us that truth is relative, that a person can identify with their own set of truths. And what's interesting about this statement is that, that there are universal truths that we all live by every day. Two plus two is four. It's always going to be four. If I step off of a 10-story building, I will fall. If I don't turn on my cell phone, I cannot make a phone call. And regardless what people believe about truth, the fact is that every day we live our lives on the basis of things that we believe are true. That's why you get on an airplane because you believe it will fly. That's why you turn on a light switch because you believe it would give you your desired results. See, absolutes also apply to religion as well. See, the re rejection of absolute truths regarding religion has become a modern-day fad. And it's, be, it's being expressed in this way. All roads lead to the same place. And if we really sat down and compared the different religions to one another, we would know that they are vastly different. All other religions in the world will say that we have to work or earn our way to a holy God. 
It's all about works to earn our salvation. It's all about us getting to God. And, and Christianity would say, no, 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 that God saw our depravity and he stepped down to us. See, one says it's all about religion. The other says it's all about a relationship. See, they can't even compare. And Jesus came to the earth to a group of individuals with their own set of beliefs about who God is. They had their own traditions, their own values, their own, their own religious duties. And Jesus made the most audacious statement ever. He made the greatest absolute statement ever in saying, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And no man comes to the Father except through me. So for you and I, we've got to determine what C.S. Lewis wrote. We've got to determine whether this guy, Jesus, is a liar. Is he a lunatic? Is he, is he crazy? Is he a loony guy? Or is he who he says he is? Is he the Lord and Savior? And today we look in our copies of Scripture in, in the book of John. Okay, we're going to continue this teaching that Pastor Jeff left, left us with last week. And here's what I love about looking in a book of John, because it's not just a book. It's not, it was actually a guy who was a disciple of Jesus, who in his old age, he was journaling. He was trying to tell the world, like, how do I tell this story? How do I let people know about what I've experienced and what I've, I've learned about Jesus? And this is a guy named John, who's, who's the author of this, penning or he's maybe having somebody else do it for, for him, but he's writing down the accounts of his life. And here's what I love. This is, this is a beautiful picture of John and what he's trying to do in 1 John. And I'm, I'm going to jump back, and then we'll jump ahead. 1 John, he opens up one letter and says this, This which, which was from the beginning, which we have heard, that we is not you and I we, it's not we we, it's the disciples we. We have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at with our hands and have touched this proclaiming the word of life. John's saying, I don't know. I don't know how to explain it, but this is what happened. And so we jump to John chapter 10, verse 22, and, and John is recording an account that he had with Jesus and, and other Jewish people. But before we get to that, let's pray. Father, we are incredibly thankful for you this morning. For the fact that we are in worship together and we get to do this together, um, God, we celebrate that. But God, my prayer for us as we dive into your words that we are forever changed by them. Your words do not return void. They are living and active and they change us from the inside out. God, my prayer today is that we would just hear a voice from you. Hear a word from you. In Jesus' name, amen. So John... He records this conversation that he has with Jewish people. Verse 22. Then came the festival of dedication at Jerusalem. It was winter. It was cold. I love the details. And Jesus was at the temple courts walking in Solomon's colonnade. The Jews who were with, gathered around him at, or said this, How long will you keep us in suspense if you are the Messiah? Tell us plainly. Now let's pause for a second and, and talk about this fe festival of dedication. It's known as the Festival of Lights. In other words, this is Hanukkah. Okay, 200 years earlier, the, the Greek Empire was ruling the day. And here's, we're setting up this, this why, why they celebrated the Feast of Dedication, okay? So 200 years earlier, the Greeks were conquering the day. And with the Greeks came 
the worship of many gods. They were a polytheistic culture, meaning they worshiped other gods. It was Hellenism, okay? So they, they were worshiping all this God, in influencing the Jewish people and the Jewish way of life. Not only that, they worshiped their pagan gods in the temple, which was the centerpiece of the Jewish religion. If you go back to the Old Testament, God said, I want you to build a tabernacle, and that's going to be my dwelling place. It's going to be my earthly dwelling place. That tabernacle moved to a temple, which is where we are right now. So they took, they took over the temple, and the Greeks were like worshiping other gods in the temple. And finally, the Jewish people said, enough is enough. And a guy named Judas Maccabee rose to power, okay? See, so he was a Jewish guy that him and his four brothers created an army and took back the temple, restored the temple again, and took back the land. And it was the Jewish people's again. So as you can imagine, they were really excited. And so they created this festival, and they've been celebrating it ever since. And I imagine, as I read through that story, I was like, okay, could it be? I don't know if this is true or not, but could it be that they thought Judas Maccabee was the Messiah? This guy that came to restore the temple, this guy that was restoring Israel back. But here's the thing, Judas Maccabee died in 160 BC. And then the Roman Empire took over. So that obviously wasn't Messiah. So, so here they are obviously looking for the Messiah, but they were looking for a Messiah that restore Israel back to its place. They wanted an earthly king. And so they're trying to figure out this guy, Jesus. Is he this guy? Is he going to restore Israel? But, but he did weird stuff. He wasn't kingly. In fact, he ate with the wrong group of people. He said some pretty odd things, and he always spoke in riddles. And people were trying to figure him out. And Jesus responds to their question. Verse 25. Jesus answered, I did tell you, but you do not believe. The works I do in my Father's name testify about me. But you do not believe because why? You are not my sheep. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. Verse 29. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than I, greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my Father's hands. Here it is. I and the Father are one. And Jesus is saying, look, there's a reason why you didn't hear my voice. There's a, there's a reason why you didn't hear me. Not only did I, did I tell you, but here's also what I did. You remember that time my mom was at a party and she came and asked me, they ran out of wine and she came to ask me, like, and, and then what do we do about this wine situation? And Jesus like, I'll take care of it. And he turned water into wine. Do you remember that? Do you remember the time where there was a lame man sitting on the side of the road and I told him to get up and dance and he did? Do you remember the time where I, just a few weeks ago, I spat on the ground and I mixed my saliva with dirt and made mud and I rubbed it in this guy's eyes. I know it was weird. I know it was, it was, it was not, not really a cool thing to do, but, but it was cool. Remember that time? And then he washed his eyes out and then he could see. Do you remember that? And the, disciple, and the, the Jewish people still didn't believe. And Jesus is saying, look, there's a reason why you didn't believe. There's a reason why, because you are not my sheep and you could not hear my voice. And the reason why you couldn't hear my voice, because... I'm not the Messiah that you're looking for. In fact, I'm better than the Messiah that you're looking for. Again, in verse 31, the Jewish opponents picked up stones to stone him, but Jesus said, whoa, 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 whoa. Don't throw. 
Let me, let me just say this real quick. I've shown you many good works from the Father. For which of these do you stone me? Pick one. And this is where the rubber meets the road. This is where we're going today. Verse 33. We are not stoning you for any good work that you do, but for blasphemy. Because you, a mere man, claim to be God. It's one thing to do good works, Jesus. It's another thing to claim that you're God. Are you saying that you are greater than our temple? Okay, so get that picture. They're, they're standing in the temple courts. Behind, behind these Jewish people is the temple. And inside the temple is considered the holy of holies, right? The, inside the Jewish temple, that's the earthly dwelling place of God. And there Jesus stands on the outside saying, I'm greater than the temple. Now I am the dwelling place of God. I am he. I'm starting something new here. I'm starting a brand new thing. And then, verse 34, Jesus answered them, is it not written in your law? So they really latched onto the Old Testament law. It, it was written for the Jewish people. And, they said, and Jesus said this, this is what your law says. I have said that you are gods. And Jesus responded to their anger by pointing out an Old Testament passage. You may be so confused by this because it says that he called humans God. That's a lowercase g. And here's, here's what, um, what happened in the Old Testament. You see, um, in accordance with the worldview of the ancient Near East, rulers and judges as emissaries of the heavenly king were given the honorary title of God, lowercase g. And then he says this, verse 35. If God calls them gods, right? If he calls them gods to whom the word of God came and the scriptures cannot be set aside, like you're not going to set aside your Jewish scriptures, right? What about the one whom the Father set apart as his very own and sent into the world? Why do you accuse me of blasphemy when I said I am God's son? What he's saying is if, if you can be culturally comfortable with the idea of somebody, somebody on this earth being called a god, then why rebel? Why bat down the idea that the Messiah would be God's son? And he said, if this doesn't make, make sense, Jesus argued, then take a look at my miracles. And that points to the fact that I am God. Verse 37 says this, do not believe me unless I do the works of my father. But if I do them, even though you do not believe me, believe the works that you may what? Know and understand that the Father is in me and I am in the Father. And then they try to seize him and they he escaped their grasp. It didn't matter. It didn't matter because of this. They only knew one thing. They knew their traditions and they knew that their Old, Old Testament covenant applied to them and they didn't care. And, and here, here's Jesus. He was turning everything upside down and they were, their minds were blown and, and they felt like Jesus was really compromising what they believed and what they worked so hard for. But Jesus was doing something here. Jesus was starting something brand new. Here's what I mean by brand new. Understand that there was a time when God actually had a chosen group of people. Do you know that? 
So if you read throughout the Old Testament, God really circled a group of people called the Israelites, the Jewish people, and said, you are to be my people. You are to be holy. You are to be separate from other nations. Okay, they really latched onto the Old Testament law, which says Leviticus 20, verse 26, you are to be holy to me because I, the Lord, am holy, and I've set you apart from the nations to be my own. So, so he had, had a people, and then he established a covenant with them, and with that covenant came commandments. And those commandments, they were to live by those commandments, which was not just 10, it was 613. And that, those commandments were a way for them to have a right relationship with God, and it required works for them to do that, right? Of course they couldn't do it because they're sinners like you and I, and, and they, they couldn't obey all the commands, and so God established a sacrificial system, right? The sacrificial system would require an animal sacrifice. It would require a priest and the temple. And so what they would do is once a year, the priest would take an animal inside the temple to a room called the Holy of Holies where the earthly dwelling place of God was. And they would sacrifice this animal. The blood was shed to cover the sins of the people and it wasn't fully and finally satisfied. They had to repeat. Every year, they would have to come back because the sacrifice wasn't good enough. But here's what God was doing in the Old Testament. God was preserving a line through which the Messiah would come to bless the world. A Messiah that would bless other nations, not just the nation of Israel, but, but this, this, this was a, a promise that was given to Abraham in Genesis 12. What God was doing, he was preserving a line that would give birth to a man that would establish a new covenant a new covenant. Jesus said, I did not come to abolish the law, but I came to fulfill it. That word fulfill means to be, to, to be complete. And whenever you complete something, you have to start something new. And Jesus said, I'm starting something brand new. You see, Old Testament law would say, draw a circle around a nation and require sacrifice and require works for salvation. This New Testament law, the one that we have today, would draw a circle around the world which would require a sacrifice and it would be through faith and faith alone. Lest most, no man should boast for salvation. And so what we, we're living out today is the New Testament covenant. And one thing that, that the Old Testament covenant required was a building and the New Testament required a, a, a person. Understand this. 70 years, so it's 70 A.D., that temple was destroyed forever. Just chew on that. You see, the old covenant was for a particular group of people, and the new covenant, one we have today, was for the world. And here's the point. Jesus kept showing up to the temple courts to talk to a group of people who were carrying around this Old Testament law. They, the Old Testament covenant that they held so closely, so close to their heart. The Jewish people only understood what God had done in the past in their scriptures only applied to them. What they couldn't figure out was this God, Jesus. Especially the Pharisees. Even though Jesus was back, backing it, his claims by miracles. Why? Here's what I want you to know today. It's in your notes. Jesus' truth claims did not align with their traditions. His truth claims did not align with their traditions. Jesus started something new and they couldn't see it. This is not a new concept for us. In fact, we've been battling this forever. This may have happened to you before. Maybe something's holding you back from understanding the truth and, not, and for you to not take steps towards Jesus and, and receive him. Maybe, maybe there's an idea 
that you've made into a truth at some point in your life, and it's keeping you from following the truth claims of Jesus. Or maybe for some of you, you have an encounter with people who call themselves Christians who don't act Christ-like, and it's pushed you away. What's holding you back from receiving these truth claims of Jesus that would change your life radically? After this, Jesus, knowing it wasn't his time to die, he escaped. He juked out the Jewish people, the, the Pharisees. He jumped in a boat and he crossed the river. And before he did that, actually on the other side of the river, John was doing ministry. John was preaching to people. He was telling people about Jesus. He was baptizing people. So before Jesus even got there, there's been stuff happening. And Jesus got in a boat and he crossed the river and he was encountered by these people who saw Jesus and came running toward him and said, it's, it's Jesus. It's the guy that, that John's been talking about. Come on, come on, let's talk to him. And this is, they approached him and said this, though John never performed a sign, all that John said about this man is true. And in that place, many believed in Jesus. And I'm thinking, what? What? Jesus must have gotten spiritual whiplash from one side of the river to the next. Like, what in the world happened for these people to truly believe in Jesus and, and these people to balk at the idea? Here's the most bizarre thing. These people on this side of the river actually saw Jesus' miracles. They heard his teachings, and they can touch him. But they wanted to kill him. And on this side of the river... They didn't see his miracles. They only heard of him through John. They didn't hear his teachings. They couldn't touch him at the time, but they put their full trust and faith in him. Because here's the thing. Because when truth comes, we tend to meet that truth with either pride or humility. You and I, we're the same thing. That statement is still true for us today. Pride is the very thing that destroys relationships and families and careers. And humility is the very thing that breaks down walls and barriers. You see what humility does? Humility allows us to see our need. I'm thinking this side of the river, people met Jesus with hostility, with pride and with anger. And this side of the river, people met Jesus and said, we have a need. Met Jesus with humility. Jesus was clear on who he was after. Luke 5 says this. Is it not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick? I have not come to call the righteous, or people who think that they're righteous, but sinners to repent. Here's the point. Jesus' truth is hard because his truth will address the deeper issues of the heart. You see, he, Jesus wasn't afraid to call sin, sin. And he wasn't afraid to call a sinner a sinner, but that's not the only thing he did. You see, truth wasn't the only thing that he gave. We go to a different story in Scripture in John chapter 8, where John records a story of Jesus who is standing in the temple again. He's standing in these temple courts, and he has another crowd around him. Jesus always drew a crowd, and he began to teach these crowds. But off to the side, what he didn't know was there's a group of Pharisees who were plotting against Jesus and they wanted to confront him except this time they confronted him with a prop and that prop was a woman they caught him in the uh, caught her in the act of adultery and so I don't know how long that they, they had this woman captured. I don't know if it was a day before or two days before, but I imagine this, this woman distraught. She's upset. She's, she's fearful for her life because she knows what this means. 
So the Pharisees, given the opportune time, drugged this woman to the middle of the courts and stood her beside Jesus and began to shame her. Look at this woman. She is disgraceful. And I just picture right now this woman standing in front of this crowd and all eyes are on her and, and she's very emotional. She has shame, guilt, and embarrassment written all over her face. Her head is hung low. And the Pharisees, this is shameful. She's a disgrace to you and she's a disgrace to our law. Now the law says that if, if we caught this woman, if she's caught in this sin, then we, we are to stone her. Jesus, what say you? And Jesus did what Jesus did. He did the most Jesus thing ever. He didn't say anything. In fact, he stooped down and he began to draw in the dirt. And there's lots of theories about what Jesus was drawing, what he was writing. I tend to think he was just doodling. I tend to think maybe he was drawing a Jesus fish. I don't know. Or maybe he was writing the phrase, you don't know who you're messing with. But he's, he, he was bowed down for a, a brief minute and he stood back up and he said these words to the Pharisees. Let any one of you who is without sin be the first to cast a stone at her. And then he went back to doodling. And while his head was down, he was bent down to the ground. All you could hear is stones being dropped. From the oldest to the youngest, they began to leave Jesus' presence because they know that he was right. They know that he had a point. They were like, ah, oh, Jesus, again. And then Jesus stood up. And I love this picture. I love this imagery about Jesus. And he stood up face to face with this woman. And he says this, woman, where are they? Where are they? Where are the people that have condemned you? And then the very next line, he says, neither do I condemn you. This woman that was full of shame and guilt and embarrassment came and stood at Jesus and Jesus looked her straight in the eye. A man that, that came to rescue her from her guilt and shame. A woman that was drugged to the courts with this oozing with shame left the courts with her head held high because of what Jesus had done in her life. Looking at her face to face and saying, your sins are forgiven. You no longer have to be captive of your sins, but here's what I want you to do. Go leave now and leave your life of sin. See, here's the point. Jesus always always met hard truth with undeserved grace. Jesus never watered down truth and he never turned down grace. So here's what we know about Jesus throughout the, Old, throughout the New Testament. He was all truth. He condemned many religious leaders of his day for being liars and hypocrites. He talked about hell more than he did heaven. Did you know that? He prophesied judgment on Jerusalem. He obeyed the law. He set standards, demanded everything from his followers, including their life. But Jesus, at the same time, he was all, all, all grace. He welcomed sinners and tax collectors and ate with them. He saw the hungry and had compassion on them. He welcomed little children to come sit on his lap. He healed the lame, the, line, the blind, and the leopard. And he saved a criminal on a cross who in his dying breath he said you will meet with me today in paradise 
See, when all truth, which is Jesus, and all grace come together, that's the best display of love. And Jesus ultimately said, if you do you, if you live how you want to live, that's going to lead to a life of destruction and, and destroy your life. But if you say, I choose you, Jesus, then that will lead to life. You see, Jesus was all truth in all grace. No one, did you know that no one knows the wrath of God like Jesus? And no one knows the consequence of sin like Jesus. Because on the cross, he bore the wrath of God because of our sin. Wow. No one knows grace like Jesus. And no one lives up to truth like Jesus. And no one, listen, no one can change a heart like Jesus. So where are you today? Maybe you've been satisfied for such a long time with you doing you. And you coming up with your own ideas about what this truth may be. And maybe today you're coming to the point where you say, I'm done with me being me. I choose you, Jesus. I think... For us, the prayer as we go throughout the series leading up to Easter, and Easter is the event, by the way. Without Easter, we don't do this. We don't have Christianity. We don't have, because Jesus, on the third day, conquered death. And because he conquered death, by the way, is the reason why he can conquer sin. And so for you, maybe you're sitting out there, you're just trying, you're in doubt, you're anxious about even sitting in here. You're thinking to yourself, like, I don't know. I'm here to just say, give him a shot. I, 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 just, I just sat over there watching two people come up here and give their testimony about whenever they did them, their life was wrecked. But whenever they gave their life to Jesus, he completely changed the trajectory of their life. Are you done with you doing you? Or do you say, I choose you? There's somebody around you. If you're here today, you're like, man, I want to know this Jesus. There's somebody sitting on your row that would say, man, I would love to introduce you to this guy that, oh, Jesus, that I know. He will change your life because he's changed mine. There's going to be pastors here on our pastoral care team that you can have a conversation with before you leave today. That's the idea. Don't leave here today without having the conversation. That's all I'm asking. If Jesus really is who he says he is, if he really is, if he's not a crazy person or a liar, then that will change your life forever, right? So all I'm asking you today is give him a shot. Jesus came to seek and save that which was lost. And for us, for those who have sinned, which everybody's in the same boat, we have been separated with God, from God, forever until Jesus showed up and said, no, I'm starting something brand new. And this brand new is for you and you and you. That if you receive me as Lord and Savior of your life, you will inherit eternal life. You will live with me forever. And you don't have to do a bunch of stuff. You don't have to work your way to me because I've came to you. 
All it takes is belief. All it takes is faith in Jesus. Will you pray with me? Father, I'm so thankful for your truth. You don't beat around the bush. We don't need a Savior or Lord that beats around the bush. We need a Savior or Lord that will tell us the truth. But God, I'm so grateful you meet that truth with undeserved grace. A people who were broken in depravity, lost because of sin, that you came to us so that once we put our faith and trust in you, we can be in right standing with you. God, my prayer is that for anybody in the room that is feeling lost right now, that, that is feeling with, uh, like they have no hope, that they would come to a point where they have a conversation and ask the question, tell me more about Jesus and making him Lord of my life. God, we love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Again, I'll be down here. Other pastors will be down here and pastoral care team.